medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today my guest is David Miller. He is an acupuncturist and a conventional doctor as well in Chicago, Illinois. David joined us in episode number 49 of Everyday Acupuncture, talking about treating kids and the importance of a proper functioning uh, digestive system. Today, we're going to be talking about treating recurrent ear infections in children. And this is a show that is specifically for the profession here. So we're going to dive deep into all the geeky stuff on how to help kids avoid those ear infections and and maybe those tubes in their ears and and how to help them out and some tips for their parents as well. So David, welcome back to uh, the show here. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Last time we spoke about kids in general and we talked a lot about digestion. Today the focus is on ear infections. And I'm curious to know that in your clinical practice, what are some of the common Chinese medicine patterns that you see kids showing up with who have these recurrent ear infections? Right. So, you know, uh, the first thing in in thinking about that is to divide your ear infections up into acute ear infections and chronic ear infections because uh, they often present with some different uh, somewhat underlying patterns. If people have access to the book Acupuncture and the Treatment of Children by uh, Julian Scott and Teresa Barlow, there's a really nice chart in there that breaks it up that way too, and that helps you determine whether or not this is something that's really uh, just an external invasion kind of pattern, or do you have something uh, like a lingering uh, liver kidney yin deficiency pattern with deficiency heat, lingering dampness and heat in the liver gallbladder system, uh, liver chi stagnation, do you have some sort of a predisposing kind of a setup for an infection? And oftentimes these two go very tightly together. You have sort of a chronic uh, disharmony that's in place that sets the child up just for the, the perfect environment for an ear infection, and then you get an external invasion coming in, and it just sort of finishes things off. So some of the most common things, though, in general, I would say, are um, our spleen chi deficiency with a food stagnation pattern and dampness buildup from that food stagnation, as well as uh, external invasions. So first thing, of course, is get really clear with what the diagnosis is. Absolutely. As ever. Can you go a little bit into each of these patterns and tell us what kinds of points you tend to use for these and if there's any that are in particularly effective and any sort of uh, botanicals that you found to be helpful for kids with these uh, different diagnoses? Absolutely. Well, and if it's okay, before I do that, I, I just want to uh, take a minute or two just to 
you know, underscore, I know it's uh, sort of core to Chinese medicine and the way we think about health, but it's, it's not core necessarily in the way that um, maybe, it's certainly not core in the way Western practitioners will think about ear infections and the way parents may think about ear infections. So when they bring their, their child into you, I think one of the things that you want to frame for the family is the idea that we're looking at the whole terrain of the child. We're looking at the child as to some degree an ecosystem, and we're looking at everything that causes you know, balance or imbalance in that, in that child themselves, including their external environment and their internal environment. So when I'm thinking about working with a kid uh, who has otitis media, either, you know, acute or chronic, the first thing I'm, I'm trying to do is sort of assess their overall environment and also, you know, their individual medical history as well, too, because there can be structural abnormalities that can predispose to ear infections. If you have a kid, for example, who was a premature baby and might have been on a ventilator tube for a long time, that tube was going straight up over the, the, the hard and soft palate and, and could reshape to some degree, the roof of the mouth and the, the way the, um, the drainage from the eustachian tubes actually occurs in the throat. So that would be a, a factor you'd throw in there too. You'd be looking at, you know, does the child live in a house where everybody's smoking? You know, what's causing irritation, you know, that could lead to uh, the underlying problem as well too. You're looking for when the ear infection started, what changed for the child? Did they go to daycare? Did somebody die? Did you know, they get another infection and were given loads of antibiotics. Did their diet change dramatically? Was it when new foods were introduced? So you really want to delve into the clinical history, both in terms of environmental factors, emotional factors, dietary related changes, or anything that can give you a clue to sort of what shifted in the environment of the child. And so doing that will give you a lot of information about, about your patterns. Um, you know, I would say in terms of, uh, of directly treating, they're actually, you know, sort of are a standard set of points that we're going to use to sort of regulate the ear system. And, and part of that just stems from the observation that the Shaoyang encircles and enters the ear. And so regulating Shaoyang is probably, you know, the, the main uh, treatment technique. So some of the points you're going to use as sort of your basic points are going to be things like uh, Sanjiao or Triple Burner 5, Triple Burner 17, GB41, GB20. Gallbladder 2, gallbladder 34 will be sort of some basic points. That said, that's for dealing with, you know, sort of the, the manifestation uh, of the ear infection itself, but not necessarily regulating the underlying patterns of the child. So if you're regulating, you know, spleen chi deficiency, you may be using, you know, REN12, spleen 15, stomach 25, stomach 36, some of those sort of routine kind of spleen tonifying points, your back shoe points, of course, too. If you're dealing with like liver chi stagnation, you may be trying to free course liver chi and drain damp heat from the liver gallbladder system. And you're looking at more like your LI4, liver three, liver two. Again, GB34 could be good for that. Some of your back shoe points again. So if that's your diagnosis, you're going there. If you have a kidney yin deficiency pattern with deficiency heat, you're looking at points like kidney six, kidney three, kidney two, UV23, and some of those points as, as sort of your root treatment after you do your branch treatment. And so it's really about sort of, um, you know, dividing up what you're seeing. One of the things I really like to do also with kids with ear infections is I like to work with Twina because I think that, you know, one of the core underlying abnormalities that predisposes to an ear infection is just dysfunctional uh, eustachian tube drainage. And so what, one of the things you're really trying to do with resolving ear infections is to get those eustachian tubes just to drain properly so there's not dampness and fluid sitting in the middle ear waiting to be, you know, stagnated in terms of heat or get infected depending on which paradigm we're using. Mm -hmm. So... 
So I use a, a technique that I, I just call sort of scratching around the ear where you use the pads of your fingers and sort of rub around the, the ears along the, that San Zhao channel particularly and, and try to just activate the whole sort of lateral region of the, of the head, the parietal temporal region around the ear. And then you can massage around the back of the ear, do some tugging on the earlobe itself. I usually start at the earlobe and work my way up the ear and then, you know, work your way back into the Sanjaw 17 area and then work your way down uh, the throat doing almost like a lymphatic drainage type of uh, maneuver along uh, what ends up being, you know, a Sanjaw channel, but also like large intestine channel and stomach channel towards the front and trying to just sort of open up that whole middle ear complex by promoting drainage and movement. Right. I always think kids would like that. Do they like that? Oh, they love it. They, they do. Love it. it is not hard to get kids to receive massage once they realize you're not going to do anything scary to them, they'll generally relax down really well. And, and it's a very well-received therapy. And I, and I definitely teach parents to do this too. I'll give them a little diagram of what I want them to do. I'll, I'll model it in the clinic and have them try it. And then they can, you know, treat the child two or three times a day if they need to, or at least a couple times a week to try to help regulate that system and keep it clear. And parents love to be able to have a hands-on thing to do. You know, I might also include something as simple as like round rubbing on the stomach, rubbing uh, stomach 36, uh, doing sort of points like that uh, with tween eyes as well, just to help to continue to support spleen and stomach and the drainage drainage of damp. You know, one of the one of the patterns we're also thinking about, though, is definitely a, a food stagnation type of pattern or food accumulation, it's sometimes called. And I think Bob Flaws probably talks about this most clearly in, in when he's talking about uh, Pete's ear infections. And he also notes that the, the large intestine, the woe channel comes up and enters into the ear too. And so he feels that stagnation in the liver system and the liver channel, or sorry, liver, in the large intestine system, large intestine channels from food accumulation, you know, sort of energetically can back up into that ear apparatus and, and cause clogging and blockage. So clearing out the intestines is also a really uh, sort of a core piece of clearing that food accumulation. And that may guide some choices of, um, herbal things that you might not necessarily think of. So some of the, the key herbs that really may help to treat ear infections would involve your food stagnation herbs. So Gin and Gin is one, the um, chicken gizzard is one that's uh, frequently used, but but overall also ideas from formulas like Baohuan, where you have just a food accumulation with heat pattern. Baohuan may actually be a better ear infection formula for certain kids than, you know, other kinds of formulas. And what you'll see in some of the proprietary formulas that are out there and in some, you know, if you're customizing formulas is one strategy you, you may choose to use depending on the patterns is to combine ideas of Xiao Chai Hutang and really clearing lingering pathogenic factors from that Xiao Yang level and, uh, and your food stagnation herbs. And, and that helps to sort of resolve the problem from a, a multi-pronged approach. I think that at the root of all this too, a lot of times, uh, diet really comes down to being a really core factor because in terms of establishing sort of that baseline terrain of the child, if the child is goopy and damp, that just sets things up for an ear infection. And we want to remember that the whole nasopharynx, including that middle ear complex and those eustachian tubes, really fall into the lung system in Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. It's all part of that same nasopharyngeal apparatus. And so we say the spleen is the producer of damp, but the lung is the container of damp or phlegm. And so this is just another area where damp and phlegm tend to accumulate when that spleen is deficient and you're getting that sort of weepy, exudative, phlegmy accumulation that's occurring. 
So one of the, the key strategies for these kids that's really important is to really evaluate diet and put them on, you know, what I think many people would just call that spleen chi deficiency diet. So take out the simple sugars, take out the simple carbs, watch for the greasy fried foods, try to have real better regulation of eating and drinking, watch for sugary drinks, things that just burden the spleen and try to really clean that up. Dairy is a big factor for some kids, bananas can be real goopy too. And so getting sort of that peanut buttery, banana-y, milky kind of diet um, out for a little while, letting the system clear out is something that's often very successful for people. And it can be hard to get families to do that because sometimes those are really staples of eating and the kids do love them because they're simple, sweet flavors, but at the same time, they're real damp promoting. And so, and so getting them out of the diet, at least for a period of time is important. And then oftentimes kids can eat some amount of those foods, but they need to sort of shift away from being quite uh, so heavy on, especially the dairy ends up being a real food staple for a lot of kids. And dairy, if, if they tolerate dairy, dairy has some good nutritional value to some degree. I always would want them to do an organic if at all possible, but dairy is also a more limited food than people recognize in the sense that it provides some protein, some fats, and some B12 and some potassium and things like that. But otherwise, it doesn't have a huge amount of micronutrition. And if you're really concerned about things like calcium and vitamin D and proteins and good beneficial fats, there are way better food sources for those than dairy. They're just not so commonly marketed to the public and so popular. Right. What are some of the ones that you would recommend parents switch to that they may not be familiar with to replace the milk? Yeah. And so if they really need something that just looks like milk, just to keep their kids kind of happy with some aspects of things, you can certainly do an almond milk or a hemp milk or a coconut milk product too. You can do rice milk. You know, rice milk is probably the one that's most just sort of simple carb. None of them are as robust of a food choice as on dairy, but they're also much simpler to digest. And you're using them sort of as a placeholder a little bit while you introduce other foods that are, are more nutritious. I would avoid soy milk. There's a good number of people who, if they're reacting to dairy, are thought to cross-react with soy. And there's all sorts of questions about cleanliness of soy in terms of pesticide uh, residue and you know the GMO questions and things like that. And I, I just don't think it's necessary uh, to use. So, so you can use those as substitutes, but Vitamin D, actually, safe sun dosing is going to be your best access to vitamin D. And if you're really worried about vitamin D, which you should be, probably using a vitamin D supplement that are very inexpensive, they're often flavorless and colorless, and a single drop can be your dose, is really a better way to assure adequacy of vitamin D intake. Because the foods that have vitamin D in them are not going to be ones kids are going to generally eat. It's going to be like large amounts of mushrooms or liver from <laughs> certain types of animals. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. You know, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And so the dairy itself is not a wonderful source of vitamin D anyway. It doesn't tend to be optimally absorbed. And I see tons of kids who eat lots of dairy and are vitamin D deficient, and it just doesn't work as a, a vitamin D supporter. You know, for the calcium, your dark green leafy vegetables, some of the nuts and seeds, you can make bone broth stews and things mm -hmm. like that that are going to be a better, um, more bioavailable source of calcium than you're going to get in the dairy itself. For good fats, you're looking at your omega-3 fatty acids is really what you want the kids to be eating. And so you can either do something like a fish oil product or you can do certain types of nuts and seeds. You know, a quarter cup to a half cup of walnuts has a great source of omega-3 fatty acids, flax seed, chia seed, uh, some of these kinds of 
sort of lower on the food chain kinds of uh, sources are going to be really good sources of omega-3s and, you know, used as part of a overall like nutritional strategy, you can mix and match them and really supply quite adequate sources of dietary fats. Olive oil and cooking is another one that's really easy to incorporate. So those would be some of the things you can substitute out. Kids are eating other animal products, like B12 is going to be present in a lot of those animal products. And so milk is not going to be their critical source of B12. And same thing with potassium. If you're eating a well-rounded diet, if you know if you can, then um, generally speaking, milk is not your, your number one source of potassium. So, so there's lots of options for people. And some of this is where, where this gets tricky in the clinic is really oftentimes what you have is you have a really picky eater. And if you have a kid who's come in and they've, they've trained their parents to only feed them the bland beige diet, so they're eating buttered noodles and pasta, you know, the pasta noodles with salt, and they're eating chicken nuggets and pizza and, and dairy and ice cream, and that's sort of the extent of their diet, then really treating their ear infections becomes a longitudinal effort to rework the, the way the family is thinking about food and the way the child is accepting food. And that's a very worthwhile effort because that diet for the kids, that bland beige diet, just has all sorts of nutritional holes in it, in micronutrition and just in digestibility that, that predisposes to a host of other problems later in life you know, from bone density issues to to hypertension, to hypercholesterolemia, to all sorts of, it's just a terrible diet. And so the ear infection actually becomes an avenue of entry into really revamping how the family thinks about nutrition. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. You know, this is so much how we often think in clinic about symptoms that it's not necessarily something to get rid of because it, it by itself is the issue, but it's pointing towards something and it's pointing towards something important. Absolutely. And so we have to follow it back to its source. Absolutely. And, and so, and that's a, a good way of thinking too about like if the child's coming with ear infections and you do a survey of the home and you realize the family's living in a home where like everybody's smoking and do you smoke, you know, in the house? Oh, I don't smoke around the child, but I only smoke in my bedroom as if the bedroom was 
completely isolated from the rest of the air supply in the house. Or, you know, you always want to check and see, like, do families live in old homes? Do they have forced air heat or air conditioning? Because the duct systems in these old homes or even newer homes can get full of, like, if there's animals in there, they get full of animal hair, they get full of dust, and you're aerosolizing this, um, essentially, what's a wind heat pathogen or a wind dry pathogen that everybody's inhaling, and it's just irritating the entire nasopharyngeal tree and causing all sorts of problems, and you don't want to be living in that environment anyway. So if this is a clue that gets you to clean your furnace filters, hallelujah for that. You know, you're looking at other allergic triggers that could be going on, getting, as I said, getting people not to smoke around the kids, those are important things. If it's a really little baby that's getting these ear infections, you really want to look at feeding patterning, you know, and look at are they are they giving the child a bottle and laying the child in a in the bed on their back with a bottle in their mouth just to either keep them quiet or because they don't realize that's not a good way to feed the child. And the formula most likely is sort of pooling in the back of their throat, getting up into their ear canals and forming a really nice medium for things to grow. And so you need to work on the way they're feeding their child from a very early age. If families want to do what they know what they can do preemptively to, to stop ear infections, I mean, the data is very clear that breastfeeding is a, a great preventative for ear infections, both because of the flow dynamics of feeding from the breast rather than from a bottle, and then also because of the immune factors and the general feeding positioning that goes on um, when a child's being exposed to breast milk. The breast milk is protective in and of itself. So it's a good opportunity to promote breastfeeding in families. Maybe they've had another child who had tons of ear infections and they're saying, what can I do with my next kids to avoid this? You know, breastfeed for sure. Another area that I look at too is, uh, especially if the kids have had a, a number of rounds of antibiotics is, um, is probiotics. Probiotics are so critical in, in our current culture for maintaining normalcy of multiple systems. And the way I encourage you know, the, the Chinese medical students and, and practitioners to think about probiotics is they're really a spleen sheet tonic. Your spleen is, is a complex, you know, obviously set of functions that does not just involve your pancreas, but also involves very strongly your whole microbiota. And your microbiome is really important for helping you digest your food, producing certain vitamins. It plays a protective role in the body and it alters other systems like your, your allergic systems and your inflammatory systems and, and helps to modulate things like uh, autoimmunity, problems with autoimmune uh, disease. So part of a program with working with just ear infections is to check the gut of the child again. And should you be using a probiotic and, and think of it as a spleen sheet tonic, because just like we think of antibiotics as being cold and harmful to the spleen, that's why antibiotics are cold and harmful to the spleen. They go in and they knock out your microbiota, which is part of your spleen system. Right, a very active part of the spleen system. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel 
the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Very active, very critical. And then other things like chemicals in foods and simple sugars. And does your kid eat yogurt? Oh, yeah, he loves yogurt. It's, you know, and then they're eating this brightly colored stuff with almost like confetti in it, with it's got a high sugar content. Like that's not yogurt. It was intended to be yogurt. So, all of those foods really disrupt your microbiome. And, and so, restoration of that's really critical. Yeah. I had a uh, patient recently tell me that when she, gets sugar cravings, she will take a course of probiotics, and that helps her get over those sugar cravings. It's the first time I'd heard that, but it, it, it makes sense when you think about it. It does, and there's a number of mechanisms and organisms that might be leading to the problem. Certainly, like a yeast overgrowth can be um, implicated in all sorts of appetitive and digestive kind of derangements, including the sugar cravings. And so creating a really good competitive environment is important for that. And I, and I think like Baohuan and I think some of the, your spleen tonic formulas, Leo Jinzatang, uh, just Urchin Tang, even some of these things have a role in regulating the spleen system via this mechanism most likely, as well as other mechanisms for sure. But, but this may be one of the mechanisms by which it causes those changes. So for the dampness issue, really, you got to fix the spleen. You do. You got to fix the spleen and you got to fix the food accumulation pattern. Another great clue to food accumulation that I never learned in Western medical school and it's not even recognized, but I've just seen it so consistently in clinic. It's just almost amusing is, is the red crusty cheeks. And you'll see this group of kids who get these red crusty cheeks and they're just called eczema and they're given hydrocortisone cream for it, but they come and go and they get worse when the kids are constipated. And so if you have a kid who comes in with sort of that red crusty cheek kind of appearance and sort of a very full appearance, and they've got a history of like foul smelling stools and, and sort of intermittent constipation, stuff like that, you've got a slam dunk for a food accumulation pattern, you know, backing up in the intestinal system and channels and you, and you want to clear that. And so it's partially clearing, partially tonifying, and then uh, dietary regulation. Right. It, I mean, it sounds, if this were an adult, we'd say that was a Da Huang pattern. Do you use Da Huang in kids sometimes if they've got this kind of excessive heat and constipation? You know, it's an, I don't, actually. I, 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 I'm not averse to it necessarily, although obviously you're going to use it dosed down. But I see, I actually tend to use a Baohuan strategy more frequently. That tends to be really effective, and it's very well tolerated. It doesn't, it sort of promotes normalcy without being too purging. And But I'll look into the Dahuang idea. Maybe that is something I actually should incorporate more in the, in the more recalcitrant cases. So kids respond so quickly to things. So stuff that for an adult, you have to really push on the system. It seems like with kids, just a little gentle nudge will often get them moving in the right direction. Often. You know, I, I like to counter that a little bit, too, in the sense that that's really true if you can get the family and the child to actually make the changes that you're suggesting. Mm. But I find the hard part is actually getting them to make the changes. So, you know, you, you optimize a child's diet and they will pop back very quickly, absolutely. But getting them to optimize that diet is where the clinical finesse, I think, comes in because, yeah, that can be challenging. So in many ways, the treatment is not just what you're doing with needles or herbs. It's how you're 
shifting that entire environment around the child, especially the family habits and and uh, environment. Absolutely right. I mean, if a child's coming in and and they have like a liver kidney yin deficiency kind of pattern, you know, you want to evaluate like what are their sleep patterns like? Are they tossing, turning? Are they sweating at night? Are they waking frequently? Are they underslept and irritable? Because you got to treat that pattern if you're going to get to the underlying root of like a, a chronic otitis media pattern, you know, from the from that Chinese medical perspective. And so shifting people's sleep and the way they, they optimize sleep. So you may actually be using like Jirbai D11 or, or Leo d one as, as one of your ear infection formulas because you're trying to correct that liver kidney yin deficiency pattern and, you know, and manage variable degrees of heat. And then that has a whole host of other beneficial effects. So I think, you know, the nice thing about a holistic medical approach is that, you know, you use the presenting complaint as an opportunity to really evaluate the whole system's approach and, and how do we holistically improve everything for this child and not just worry about that specific, that specific ear infection. Makes a lot of sense, really does. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this thing down? Well, you know, I'd say for those who work with kids, they know this. For those who are considering working with kids, kids should not be treated sort of, you know, just like little adults, obviously. That was a, a historical thing that, that has been done in, in more of the West than the East uh, for the last, you know, couple thousand years in, in the East to sort of recognize that. But part of treating the child and treating ear infections or treating anything else is really working with the family and working with the parents. So really doing that holistic analysis is really critical, I think, to to the holistic well-being of the child. Yeah, great. Well, David, always a pleasure to talk with you. I learned so much through our conversations. I'm looking forward to seeing some uh, kids come through my office here sometime soon. I can try this stuff out on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.